Welcome to the Questions for the Sages podcast. I'm Michael Scherer. Anantarup Das started a Hare Krishna temple in Boise, Idaho with his wife 31 years ago, and today is the temple president there. We had a nice discussion about the temple architecture, about his mission in Boise, Hindu-Christian relations, and more. You can hear the Questions for the Sages podcast on questionsforthesages.com, the Questions for the Sages Facebook page, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Thanks to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland, for making this podcast possible. Welcome to Questions for the Sages. I would normally say that this is a podcast from the Washington, D.C. area, but today I am in the state of Idaho, in the capital city of that state, in Boise, and actually in the temple room with Ananta Rup Das. Yes. Thank you very much for agreeing to be interviewed. It's a pleasure. And I'm curious about how this temple works in Boise, uh, sort of the dynamics. I guess we can get into that in a bit, but first I want to say, walking around the grounds here in Boise, I, I'm very impressed by the architecture. It's Thanks. simple mm-hmm. and, and, and yet elegant at the same time. Mm-hmm. Were you involved in the building of the, of the complex? Yes. Um, me and my wife, uh, we started the temple in our living room 31 years ago, to be exact. And over time, it grew, very sitting. Uh, this uh, sanctuary in the big temple hall was built in 1999. And then um, last year, we built the additional community center and the park and the greenhouse. So we've been expanding every 15 to 16 years. Um, and uh, the, it's a small temple. It looks big, but in terms of number of devotees, uh, there are about um, seven or eight family devotees. It's probably the only temple in the Skan, at least in the U.S., that does not have any brahmacharis, if you know what I mean, any celibate brahmacharis. Um, celibate devotees who stay in the temple and, and just do deity worship, all those things. So it's, it's more what you call a grahast or a family uh, temple where Everyone, all of the devotees, they work outside, they live around the temple, and they come to the temple to do service for Krishna. It's almost like Prabhupada says in the nectar of instruction that the temple provides a place for uh, devotees to do devotional service. So as much as you go to the gym to do exercises, you come here to do devotional exercises. And, and so that is the whole idea is, therefore, um, the dynamics as such, Monday through Thursday, there's not too much going on, because um, people are working. Uh, we have regular uh, Mangal Arati and morning programs and the evening programs. And then it starts to pick up Friday. Uh, we have midweek uh, Bhagavad Gita class, we have Friday evening Bhagavad Gita class, and then 
Saturday there's something going on and then Sunday we have our Sunday feast in the afternoon. And why did you come to Boise? Um, I got a job with Hewlett Packard, you know, the, the printer people in the PC and, and they at one time they used to have a very big, uh, their second largest establishment was actually in Boise after California. And uh, so I came here, um, like I said, about 31 years ago, 1986. And then I took early retirement in 2005 to do full-time um, service in the temple. And, you know, outside of people who are dedicated, like you said, there's no brahmacharis here or celibate monks. Where does the... Uh, community come from that participates in the temple activities? So, um, in that way also, um, Boise is a little bit unique, I've been told. Uh, I would say about 65% of our congregation is uh, Indian, but about 30 to 35% is um, the local white Caucasian, you know, Afro-Americans and, and Hispanics and all that. And so that way we are a little bit more international than, than the other temples that have become almost totally, you know, from Asia. And so, um, so they're all from all sorts of life, uh, mostly working professionals. Uh, of course, IT. Most Indians are from IT, and and the the Americans do other the others, uh, you know, jobs. We have a, um, a counselor, you know, and we have um, let's see, yeah, there are a couple of counselors who who come here, uh, IT people, and there's some who work for the state. So it's a whole varied situation. And the Americans that come, do they, do they pass through? Are they sort of seeing it as a curiosity that they're looking at and then sort of disappear and there's a turnover? No. Um, we actually have a very stable group of local Americans who come here. A few of them are initiated. And so it's a, it's a local crowd. Uh, the traveling crowd is there, or the students. Uh, we, we're next to the Boise State University, and they come for curiosity. The teachers send them, and they have religion classes to study other religions. But this, I, I'm talking about part of the um, Sunday congregation, mm -hmm. and uh, and and yes, uh, uh, we have um, people, uh, devotees who were actually initiated were Americans and um, who are part of this temple and, and most of the uh, uh, devotees are local devotees, they're not transplants in that sense. They've been here for a long time. And do you go out into the street and, and, and chant what's called Harinam? Um, we do Sankirtan, the book distribution. Uh, we do Harinam on special occasions, we don't do it on a regularly basis, uh, like most temples do uh, once a week, so and so forth. But we do go out on like the festival times and, and other times. Um, 
on Harinam, not as much because again, we try to, um, we are very much liked in the community. There are no, you know, um, Boise is, is very conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, based on time, place, circumstance, uh, we do have outreach, but our, our outreach is more, uh, people know about us. Uh, we get frequent calls. Can you come and talk at the school? Uh, can we come and take a tour? Uh, and and then uh, so we we go out to schools, we go out to the universities, we 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 go around interfaith events. Uh, people come for tours. Uh, we do do book distribution. And Harinam, uh, like I said, probably we do like maybe six times a year. How do how do local Boiseans respond to Harinam? Uh, curiosity, uh, I don't think we have been pushed around or shoved around or if that's what you're looking for. Uh, they, they are, um, we've seen them dance with us, but generally they, they're curious, uh, appreciative bystanders. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, um, and they look around. Um, nothing um, sort of out, out, out of the ordinary, you know, yeah. one yeah. way or the other. And what keeps you here in Boise? Is it the temple itself that you've dedicated yourself to? Like I said, the first 20 years I I worked at HP. And the next, I always call Boise will be my last stop. Home is home in India. But uh, Boise is a, this is actually, I should work for the Boise Visitors Bureau. Boise is a very nice city. I've traveled throughout the world. I've lived in USA, different places. It is um, um, like we we get Hanumanthesh um, Swami as one of the swamis who travels who comes here, and he says uh, I think Janaka Pandit has said that uh, a person should live where uh, there's a river, hmm. and where there's sunshine, um, where there's um, sort of forest green area, where there is um, uh, a temple and there's devotees. Boise has all five. <laughs> uh, it's very true. Uh, I've been to other temples, either they're too urban and no forest or they don't have a river. We have a river right through the downtown, uh, right through the from one corner of the city to the, to the other green belt and, 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 and everything else. And, so, and the sunshine is uh, 300 days out of the year. All around Boise is desert, but Boise serves oasis. And so, um, and the climate, and the, the people, and the, um, I'm a big booster for Boise. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> and where do you call home in, in India? Uh, Jaipur, in Rajasthan, the pink city. Uh-huh. And, uh, you been there? I haven't, no. Okay. And that's where uh, Govindevji, uh, one of our prime deities, um, that's where he is, uh, Rupa Goswami. Uh, and um, so, mm, Jaipur is a, we call it, and people call it, it's the hidden Vrindavan. We have the Vrindavan in New Delhi, but <clears throat> Jaipur has as many temples and deities of Krishna as Vrindavan. And so your family and community in India understands and appreciates what you're doing? Yeah, it took them a while, but they do. Uh, many of the things in the temple would not be here if I didn't get 
support in terms of logistics, bringing things in from my brother, from my mother, from her side, her brother, you know, brother-in-law and so on and so forth. So the family has been, uh, I mean, if you look around, we have uh, um, a lot of things and uh, very nice quality, you know, altered this and that. And that's because of support from India. On the other hand, um, the temple you're sitting over here, uh, uh, when it opened, our slogan was, it is a temple for Idahoans, by Idahoans. Uh, it's probably one of the few temples. You see a lot of temples now being built in the U.S. and they get the construction workers, the, the artisans from, from India, they come and do that. This is totally, totally, except for the altar and some of the teak uh, doors, mm -hmm. everything, all the woodwork, all the stained glass window, uh, everything, the, the painted ceiling. By the way, that is in USA, in Iskon, it's probably the best ceiling, mm. painted ceiling. Yeah. Uh, it's got the entire Bhagavatam cover on it. And it's all done by local artists, all done by local artists. Uh, and when we um, opened up this thing, uh, the paper talked about it. Um, everything, uh, even though it's Vedic culture that way, but it was built by the local people. Mm. And so uh, the community has a stake in it. It's not something that, oh, these guys came in, they built this thing and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, well, I, I, I responded to the architecture. I thought, and There's something clean and so, and just well done. That was your original question. I forgot. The architect Bruce Paul. Um, if I wish you could talk to him, he, he I gave him. Uh, if you didn't look around, we're in a residential area, mm -hmm. inside, and we had to get a conditional use permit from the city. They were very nice about it. And the city didn't want the neighborhood to be disturbed. Right. Uh, and, and so to this day, still, there are people who said, oh, I'm on Martha Street, I don't see the temple. Where are you? Mm -hmm. And they just can't drive by, it just looks like regular street. And then you tell them, well, I think you're almost, because Martha Street is a very small street. I said, just look up and see if you see it. Oh, yeah, I see it. They come in. And, and they what come is that when they look up? What is that, what that they see? Dome. Dome. The, the dome. And then on top of the dome, there's like a brass. Yeah, that's a chakra. It's called a wheel. It's a wheel of protection chakra. Okay. Sudarshan chakra. And um, very interesting. I can talk about that for a long time, too. <laughs> <laughs> the, but, and then... I had Bruce, so I told Bruce, let's keep that, I, and I and I didn't want people going around pointing fingers like, oh, there's the temple. So from outside the room, but there, then we, and I had him build this sort of small, uh, if you saw the brick wall. Once you come inside the brick wall, they're just, it's like a very wow feeling. Everyone who comes in, local or a, wow, I didn't realize it looked like nothing. But when, once you come in, it is a, a mini Vedic city or Indian city. 
not even a city, I mean a cultural place. Um, there's plaques outside, um, there's courtyard, um, and, and then you come in here, the, the, the temple. The other thing that he was given the charter, I said, we're a small temple, we don't have too much trappings, this and that. I mean, go to other temples, there are gorgeous statues and art, architecture and arts. So keep it simple, but we want the focus. All we have, really, we are very happy, proud, is our deities. Radha Bhakti Bihari. Is as soon as they come in, I would like them to focus on the deities and Prabhupada. And to this day, it is still true. One, the first time visitors, even to this day, they don't know the, they don't notice the ceiling till almost to, towards the end of the service or talk. Just so, if you take a look at it, so focused right on that, and and that has always been our. Uh, main point is that is the DT attracts them, and that was the whole idea. Um, and so we have kept. So he kept it simple, and and then he also built the, this addition, and he himself, you know, um, and I'm, he did a very good job. He, uh, I have nothing but uh, the um, sort of uh, praise for his uh, for his uh, work and interest that he took. Um, we are very, really proud of him, very, very, and he has gotten attached to the temple there. Um, most of the work he did on the temple, the first phase was, was pro bono, you understand? I mean, he didn't really charge anything. Um, just an interesting side note, and I told him, I said, Bruce, you do this, and Krishna will be so happy, he's going to reward you with so many things. And he came back after he finished this thing in 1999, he said, Arun, I'm so busy, I'm building this part like every other church in town. I said, and I, I'm, I'm God's architect. I said, I told you that's what happened. And, um, and so, um, no, he, he did a, we are very, very well liked in the community. They appreciate the ceiling, the architecture, the simplicity. Uh, when we opened this additions next door, uh, the president of the BSU, the mayor, the uh, the governor, um, when they came, they all said, gee, you've been very good neighbors. We have no complaints. Um, we do all our chanting, dancing, but the way it is designed, um, you can be outside and you think it's just a sort of a dead place in that way. But the whole activity is inside, is very well protected. and. Um, and it really, that, that surprise factor really um, brings a wow in the people. This is really mm-hmm. nice and decent. It, it, it has the, you mentioned that Boise is an oasis with desert around it, and there's a similar thing that goes on here where yeah. mm-hmm. it's not until you get behind the wall that yeah. you realize that there is an oasis here. Yes, that is true. That's very true. Now you mentioned Jaipur mm-hmm. and that um, your family was supportive, but it took a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what happened? How did you how did you become involved or uh, uh, 
convert or become a devotee. <laughs> yeah, I, I was born into a Vaishnava family, but again, as you know, um, uh, uh, most Indians in my region are Krishna devotees, but they are almost like how most Americans here are Jesus devotees. But yeah, temples there, and I go there once in a while. But really, thanks to Prabhupada, thanks to the devotee who gave me a Bhagavad Gita, 1972, in at the airport in St. Louis. Really. Distinctly remember that. Do you remember who that was? Uh, no, I don't have his name, nothing, but I assume he was from, probably from St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis has a very nice temple. And uh, Missouri. And, and so, um, the it's like Prabhupada says, Krishna is dormant, it's in our blood, and so really that Gita, the contact with devotees, really brought out that hidden dormancy that was there. And so I, I would say I became sort of total Krishna conscious. I mean, I'm, not, I'm still not total, but I mean more Krishna conscious. Coming to USA and then obviously... But how do you explain that? Like, how do you leave the land where pretty much everyone is a devotee of Krishna, and then you come to America and find Krishna. Yeah, you appreciate... So what happens is, okay, in my case, um, as soon as I landed in Manhattan, Kansas, and that's where I, I came as a Rotary Scholar, Goodwill Ambassador, and my mentor, he picked me up, and I still remember, I was going in the car, he was taking me to the dorm where I was going to stay. And he says, I'm so-and-so, and I've been to India, and I'm a professor of animal husbandry. And I want to let you know, he was a little bit sarcastic, a little bit half-humorous. He said, now you have been brought up um, with the notion that cow is holy and mm. should be worshipped. And I am, I teach people how to kill cows. Wow. And he just kind of, and then he had a little bit of condensed, consident, what do you call it? Con, Conscience? No, condescending look. Oh, okay. Oh, you're from there, and yeah, so I still remember that. I, and I, very nice person, but I never forgive, forgive him for that, for that comment. And I had, see, almost all the Indians that come here, uh, I think they have that uh, national pride, and because uh, and, we've been also like America to subjugated by British rule and this and that. And, uh, and I, more so than as I, I'm very proud of my culture, and that was my job, uh, or uh, that's why I got a scholarship, I was supposed to go around the region of Kansas, Missouri, and talk about India uh, and the Rotary Clubs. And, and I had the right answers everywhere you ask why the cow is holy, this and that. The thing that, that Prabhupada did, or really, was that through his books, he solidified 
what was already known to us, but we didn't have that sort of backing. Like people want a reference, people want a also says who. I mean, you are, and so that's the uh, one of the greatness of Shri Prabhupada's books. He took it out. He said, yeah, "This is not just grandma tales or some whimsical thing, or that we are emotional." But he takes us through methodically everything. And the more I read, the more I say, "Yeah, this is exactly what I wanted to say." And I said something, but now I know um, more precisely what to say. And so that, uh, like I said, is he unlocked. He unlocked the the keys to the kingdom, I guess you can say that, I don't know. But to um, what extent was that um, a solidification of your national identity? I, I would say more my cultural and my religious identity. Yeah. Because uh, national identity, uh, India's got you know, 28 states and north, south, east, but it's really um, the, um, I was always, very, very appreciative, proud of the lifestyle that we had. Simple lifestyle, you know, sitting on the floor, you know, and your mother serving you food and you, you know, eating it and, and fresh vegetables and everything cooked fresh. And, uh, you know, I really had to come think of it. I, Never drank Coke in India. You never drank Coke? Yeah, Coca-Cola or, or any uh, soft drinks. On purpose? No, it was... It just wasn't there? It, it was there in the high circles and we were... But I'm saying is never... My mother always gave me milk. Oh, I see. And, um, and that's all I knew how to drink. I mean, never touched beer or alcohol. I mean, that was still there. And... Um, and then so on and so forth. And I, um, and actually, when I went to school, I, I pledged a fraternity, and these guys were really bent on and my quote my fraternity brothers. Arun, you got to have a drink. <laughs> yeah. And I took a sip of beer and just so bitter. I said, How do you? <laughs> I mean, how do you like this? I kind of spit it out. Where is the enjoyment here? What? Yeah. And that was, that was not that I, I read the Prabhupada's, this is before Prabhupada's books and all that. I mean, and actually in England, beer is called bitter. It is bitter. Mm -hmm. We go to England, you ask people, uh, they say, give me a pitta, pitta. And, and, and which is, yeah, that's what it is like. And, and so I'm saying is that, and then you come here and, the, and it's culture of coke and beer and meat. And, and, and you wonder about it. Uh, people try to give you that inferiority complex. But uh, I never got that because I was, I had very strong convictions thanks to my, I guess, grandfather and mothers and my father and mother and so on and so forth. Um, but now, you know, so, most Indians do not know the Vedas and all that stuff. They've just been brought up. And when you say the Vedas, you mean the ancient scriptures? Yeah. And so they just believe what the grandfather, grandmother said. Mm -hmm. Now we are being challenged by yes. the scientific community, by the intelligentsia. And that's where we say, oh, well, well, you know, how, well, my mother said that, oh, really? Uh, 
I mean, people just do that thing. And now, I can say, okay, here it is. And, you know, this is the Bhagavad Gita says that. And, and now I even know the Bible says this, or the Quran says that. So, so that uh, Prabhupada actually said someplace, I mean, his movement is for everybody. He said, my movement is really for the intelligent class. Mm-hmm. Intelligence is not just having PhDs and all that stuff, but people who, who really want to know, get deep into it. Yeah. And you have to have um, good faculties and interests to delve into those things. Was there any resistance to your being uh, a member of ISKCON back in India? Uh, initially, like I said, initially, because... Uh, what, because what was the objection? Uh, the objection was, while well, you're getting into this, the media from there had sent all the kind of the, the wrong things to media in India to that all these Hare Krishna people they just do nothing but dance in streets with them, with you know with these bed sheets around them and and they don't work, they don't do this and don't, don't do that. So the biggest fear at least my family was well if you got involved in it, you probably leave the job, become a monk or something else like that. But Prabhupada uh, never told us not to work. It just you got to know why I'm working. Mm-hmm. the center behind the working. And so I, once they realized that, you know, everything went away, all the objections and everything else. But initially there was fear that, you know, okay, we have lost our child. He's been just going around in the streets. And uh, you know, I came to USA when Prabhupada was here. He had just arrived three, four years ago. And uh, I... My biggest um, disappointment of life is that I didn't meet him. I, I met the devotees in New York City, on, uh, you know, on Rockefeller Avenue and Seventh Avenue, dancing. I remember buying George Harrison's My Sweet Lord record, took it back home. My family uncle was so pleased and surprised. Oh, so there's actually a record that sings the Hare Krishna mantra in the back, and people actually enjoy it and like it. And, um, so, all those things were there, and uh, I, in some ways, grew as the movement grew, but I was uh, sort of on the outside, but very appreciative of them. And then Krishna trapped me with that Bhagavad Gita that, that we know. Mm-hmm. Do you, now, you've, you've been here long enough to sort of see the 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 patterns of this temple within the city um, at this point do you feel like uh, you're maintaining yourselves or are you expanding or are you shrinking um, within the larger cultural context that you live in uh, what what's happening with this iscon center um Obviously, the fact that we have expanded three times, so the center is expanding. And um, but the rate of growth is slowing down, and I assume it will stabilize partly for the fact that Boise is a, compared to other cities is a small city, and it is, Boise is still growing. But, but again, I think the growth, 
I don't know how long will that last, but we have kept up with the growth in that sense. Um, but I think, no, this temple is the right size. Um, we are going through, in some ways, the same sort of soul-searching as, as many churches in town. I mean, I belong to a couple of interfaith councils, and we all, as we sit on the table, we all look around and we say, every one of us has gray hair. Here, where are the young people? So that problem is, is with everyone. Um, that uh, how do we bring the young into the temples? Uh, and the internet, the cell phone, the, you know, social media is keeping everyone away. Uh, there used to be a time in this temple, now you see about seven or eight chairs. Mm-hmm. We hardly used to have one or two. And now, on Sundays, I even bring a few more, but that shows that the congregation is aging. They, can, they, longer, they no longer can sit on the floor. Right. And uh, so that is, is a sort of a general societal issue. Uh, but the Pew Research is saying that almost one-third of the young people uh, and they do surveys, they have question, are you Christian, Jewish, Hindu, so forth, and at the bottom it says um, none. So about one third of them are saying none. Yeah. They don't have religion. Well, another part of it is, is, is um, you know, the intelligentsia, the, the large hadron collider, the, uh, you know, we're talking about exploring space, um, the Chinese want to put a base on the moon, and um, it, for a young person, that is valid, and then you look in the fifth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, and mm-hmm. you wonder, well, is this accurate? And if this isn't accurate, does that, how does that reflect on everything else here? Yeah, yeah, and, and, uh, uh, I've given classes on that. Prabhupada has a very nice book, um, Life Comes From Life. It's a series of talks he did, morning walks. And I tell people, and, and it makes them think, and then they realize that. And his first axiom that no one has been able to break up so far and and I, and I, I gave this class, uh, we had a whole bunch of high school seniors who had been sort of brainwashed. And we started doing the assessment, you know, that's right, the chemistry teacher kind of skirted around the issue. He said, yeah, we just be only a few years away from making, you know, live cell. And at first he said, well, no, they already made it. And I said, are you sure? And we got into it. And so when at least I repeat what Prabhupada says that, the first axiom is life comes from life. And, and that the, you take a look at anything, uh, matter comes from spirit, not the other way around. And the example that I give is, so when we read the newspaper or the media, um, what are we running short on? Running short on oil, petroleum, iron ore, this and that, all the material things, right? 
what do we have that we want to control? We have overpopulation. If life was coming from matter or matter was coming from matter, why can't we produce more oil? Why can't we produce more iron? Or why do we have traveling to space to get some? If, if matter had capacity to reproduce, on the other hand, even the, the most weakest, you know, person, you can say, in, in, in the desert of Africa or India, wherever it may be, uh, hardly had anything to eat, and, he, and he, even she produces a child. So life comes from life. Life will never come from matter. Matter will never come from matter. I mean, otherwise, uh, why do we have assembly lines? The cars should be able to produce cars. Well, life is a mystery. And I think that people do forget that. That we really don't know what it is. Well, and let, let me just argue with you for a second. Okay. And that's what Prabhupada, Gita, Prabhupada did that through Gita and others. That's the whole idea about Gita is that uh, it demystifies who we are. Uh, it um, opens up that we are not this body, and mm. that we are the soul, and the soul is part of Krishna, and what is the size of the soul, and, and what happens to the soul after I mean, it, it just gives you all the answers that, that people say, well, it's a mystery, I do not know what's going to happen. We have, we have transferred locations. Um, um, there was some activity in the temple room, and so uh, we decided to, uh, to move into the, to the room next door, so the, so the ambient noise will have changed a lot. We're, I'm going to pick up our, our conversation where we left off, and we were talking about how young people don't seem to be attending any church as much, and I was bringing up the point that uh, scientifically, you know, the scientific mind will incline toward what is happening today in the Western world, but life is a mystery. Part of the reason that the young folks are turning towards science or science is getting hold of them is they and the Western philosophies have not been able to satisfactorily answer the question why bad things happen to good people. In fact, both of my sons are, in, are religion professors and they said that question, and in fact, the scientists, they latch on to that question and challenge all the clergy and all that, said no one has the right answer, except the way it is. The sad part is, the Western clergy refuses to look at the Eastern literature. And when, when I would assume that when you, when you say that you have a, a satisfactory answer to the question of why bad things happen to good people, it's, it's you're referring to karma and reincarnation. reincarnation. Now, reincarnation, I think, in, in, in the Western mind is problematic for this reason. It tends to blame the person to whom bad things happen. For their misfortune. Yes. <laughs> I mean, why? I mean, right now, that is syndrome. 
that you know, it's someone else's fault. That's not true. I mean, you, you cannot clap with, with one hand. Okay, maybe somebody has some, but you cannot clap. With, you, you try clapping with one hand, would you please? You cannot. Right, but how does so, that So how does what that I'm saying is, so, yeah, there are two people involved. So, you, so what I'm saying, you cannot say, oh, he is the one who made me do it. Well, no, I, I think the problem is, um, and this is completely aside of, of, you know, whether or not reincarnation is true, is that if you see a poor person, a beggar, mm -hmm. um, someone who needs help, mm -hmm. you might say, well, let me just, I'll just let them work off their karma and, and be on my way. There isn't, there isn't a sense of, I can help this person. Yes, and that is a sort of a bad rap that is given to Hinduism, uh, to use that local vernacular, is um, it also says the biggest, uh, what you call welfare activity that one can do is helping others. The question is what kind of help? That is the question. Somebody is hungry, uh, yes, you should feed him, regardless what his karma is. Mm -hmm. Okay? question is what you should feed him. If he's hungry and you give him a hamburger, yes, that will fill his plate, his, his uh, tummy. And temporarily you have filled it, but you have just loaded him and yourself with a whole bunch of karma of killing an animal and eating it, that they'll have to pay either in this life or next life. Versus, and Wisconsin has one of the largest, um, you know, lunch or feeding programs, food programs, food for life, you feed them prashadam. Wholesome meal that has been offered to Krishna. And there, you're not only feeding him, but you're improving his karma because it says, as soon as you eat prasadam, you already have mercy of Krishna. You said, Prabhupada says that as soon as they eat prasadam, you're guaranteeing them at least one more human life, not a life of a dog or a cat or, or a tiger because he has eaten meat and you have to, not, you know, so on and so forth. So, uh, that is the ultimate benefit, welfare. Uh, on one hand, you feed the person meat and we have to believe the scriptures. 99% of the time he'll come back as an animal. You, you went, took him into a lower level conscious species. You feed him prasadam. The objective is still there to feed a hungry person. They now, know what you feed. When, when you bring this up to uh, other local uh, congregations and faiths, what is their objection to reincarnation? Oh, they, they are, it's like, um, they don't want to hear anything about it, they, because it, it's been so, um, you know, that's what they've been brought up with. Uh, on the other hand, um, they, um, I was just at the other Interfaith Council, just um, our session, just this last Wednesday, and and they keep on talking about, um, you know, afterlife. 
So if there's an afterlife, the question would be, um, the, the response to me, I would, there is also a previous life, that's why even afterlife. Nobody says this is the only life unless you are into being an atheist. Um, now the question is, is there only one life or there are several lives? But even Devalika and I've not really challenged them like that. And they all said, they said, yeah, you know, there's an afterlife um, uh, or after this life, we, we go to heaven or we go to hell. Mm-hmm. So then definitely there's at least two lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also um, some believe in purgatory, which is a, a third. Yeah, affirmation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I understand this is, um, this is sort of a, a, a cultural difference that's uh, sort of insurmountable in some ways between uh, like a Christian uh, congregation and a, and a Hindu congregation. I mean, reincarnation is just, it's... Um, so, the other way I explain people, uh, there's so much research on twins, right? You heard mm-hmm. of that, right? Twins, it's people, you know, same background, same genes, everything else. Still, to this day, the two twins are not exactly alike, especially in terms of mental makeup, especially in terms of one may get cancer, the other one may not. Mm-hmm. One may get, uh, you know, become a pauper, the other one may not. Yeah. Why is that? Because people say, well, this is all because... Well, it's because they're two different people. Huh? It's because they're two different people. No, but people say, well, we are a product of nature, uh-huh. we are a product of our surroundings, and, and we are a product of our genes. All those are the same. Yeah. So how come one suffers and one does not? Same family, because people say, well, you are suffering because your parents didn't bring you up right, my parents did the right thing, or, or, or vice versa. Yeah, but I don't think that that resolves the issue of reincarnation. But it makes them think. Yeah, it makes them think, sure, sure. Yeah. And, um, and the Bible does say, as you sow, so shall you reap. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the only thing is, is the time period. I mean, and people say, well, this is not fair, the guy goes scot-free. That question does come up, but they don't want to answer that. But you, you, do, you do pay for, for your sins. Now, where does it say you have to pay right away? Mm. Yeah. Do, now, I would imagine that you have a relationship with some other religious communities here in Boise mm-hmm. that's, that's friendly, but some probably see you as dangerous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how does that go? How does that work? Oh, it doesn't. Uh, Prabhupada said, "You just, you just be yourself. We don't, uh, without naming. Uh-huh. Let me give you um, an instance. It's a very sweet one. <laughs> uh, when we build this temple, um, there's an electrician, very nice, very devout Christian." Uh, very open, was very impressed with our effort and what we were doing, we got, got convinced. Uh, my wife used to feed all the workers in the morning for their breakfast break, uh, hot pakoras and mm. sometimes halwa and milk. Started to like the food and as he did, and my oldest son, the younger son was gone, but the oldest son was here and so 
he would give them soft philosophy, especially how one should be vegetarian. And so this electrician got convinced. And he would convince not, I mean, he, he was not going to change his religion, I mean, that's no, but he would just become very appreciative. And so he would go back and talk to his wife, you know, if he can cut down and meet this and that. And the wife got worried. Mm. So she went back one Sunday to, to her pastor. He heard that. You know what the pastor said? He said, he has to do the job, but he said, make sure he doesn't eat their food. Mm-hmm. He knew, <laughs> somewhere he knew the effects of prashad. <laughs> and he didn't like it. <laughs> and, and since then, uh, the electrician would, would still take it, mm-hmm. but very hesitant. And, and cause, because he told my son, Interesting. he said, our pastor said not to eat your food. He didn't say, don't do this, but he's very, very, there is, there's effects of prashadam. Mm. And, 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 and the effects of the holy name. And, and so um, what I'm saying is, um, the, uh, we just keep on doing our things. Uh, we at least have not gone out of our way to agitate, you know, somebody's in opposition. Right. right. Uh, you know, like they thump their scripture and, you know, say you're, you're going to hell. We don't do that. We just, okay. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, no. Now, um, there are a, a, a variety of devotional activities. Prahlad Maharaj lays them out in the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And um, in a, in a, ISKCON environment, there's japa, there's um, chanting and dancing and singing, deity there's deity worship, there's eating prasadam. What's your favorite? What do you What are you inclined to? Where do you Where do you Where do you find sort of enjoyment? And Personally, myself, yeah. everyone will tell you I'm prasadam freak. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, I I cook uh-huh. nicely. They like my cooking. I also eat prashadam. I appreciate prashadam. That's my level. I, I'm not too big a scholar. Uh, I should do more reading. Uh, devotees tell me, my spiritual master tells me. But I am a devotee mostly because I cook and I eat and I relish it. Wow. And uh, what else can I say? But I do deity worship also. I like that. Mm-hmm. I have my own Shalagram deities and I really, uh, they have kept me going. So, um, on that I do a little bit of everything. I've sometimes thought of it. Uh, um, my name is Anantarup Das. Anantarup means um, the form of Krishna that does un- unlimited or different um, forms of, and I look at different activities. So I do a little bit of everything. That's why I've been temple president. The temple president gets to do everything. Mm-hmm. I've, I clean also, I cook and I preach also and I do that. But yeah, but if you're the top, people <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And how do you, um, where would you like to see this temple in, in 10 years? 
Oh, I just grow and... and um, um, Will you be here? You're not going anywhere, right? No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, okay. I, I, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I do travel, uh, but this is my home base. And um, the um, 10 years from now, I think, um, yeah, I like to get out of the management as such and maybe devote more time to my sadhana, better chanting, maybe writing a little brief history of the Boys Temple, which I think is very interesting. Um, you could almost have a, a separate podcast on the um, the um, the history of the temple in terms of um, what we've gone through. Really? Well, I would, yeah, that sounds like a very interesting story. I would certainly encourage you to write that book. Um, and hopefully we will get another chance to talk oh, uh, on a podcast. Since your parents are here, please come again. Yes, thank you very much. And, and this is, I think, a wonderful place to wrap up our interview. Um, thank you, Anantarup, for speaking with me. This thank is, you. This is Michael Scherer, and you're listening to Questions for the Sages. Thank you. Thank you, Anantarup Das, for spending time with me in Boise. The temple there is very beautiful and tasteful, and your association was wonderful. Thanks to Rico Hayes for the theme music, and to Miriam Lansky for discussions about how to approach the subject matter of the podcast. Thank you also to the Hare Krishna community of Potomac, Maryland, for making this podcast possible. I'm Michael Scherer, and you've been listening to Questions for the Sages. Questions for the Sages